Good morning. So let's have a look at the text today. Thank you, Bunmi, for reading for us. Um, I have split this text into three sections. Verse 9 to 8 is the situation. Verse 10 to 14, the solution. And verse 15 to 21, God's salvation. So let's dive into the text for today. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Last Sunday, Ben brought us the good news. Isaac was born. He was a miracle baby. Not just a miracle baby, like any baby that is wonderfully, masterfully formed in the womb of its mother. But a miracle baby because his mother was 90 years old and had not been able to conceive all her life. Isaac was a child of faith. Faith in God's promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child who would grow into a mighty nation. What joy filled the house when Sarah gave birth and nursed Isaac. Everyone laughed with her at this impossible thing. What joy must Sarah have felt every time she nursed little Isaac, every time she looked at this little boy falling asleep in her arm, learning to walk, saying his first words. In the passage today, Isaac is roughly three years old. Abram and Sarah overjoyed that this little miracle of theirs had made it so far and threw a big party to celebrate Isaac's step into independence from his mum. Isaac would now eat adult food. He was no more, no more milk from his mum. Verse 9. But it, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to, uh, to Abraham, laughing. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abram, laughing. All went well, but Sarah noticed something as she was watching Isaac. Ishmael, his older brother, mocked Isaac. Well, everyone who has younger siblings know that it's, knows it's fun to wind them up. I've got four younger siblings, so I've got lots of experience. But this was no innocent winding up. Galatians 4.29 tells us that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Sarah saw it and she acted. She went to Abraham and demanded, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. It does sound quite extreme and a bit over the top if we just read this for the first time. Why would Sarah react like this? Let's just remember what has happened between these two ladies so far. Hagar was a slave woman from Egypt. She was Sarah's slave. And that was the slave that Sarah offered to Abram to sleep with, to have a child with her. As soon as Hagar became pregnant, she looked down on Sarah, which led to Sarah lashing out in jealousy and anger. Sarah treated Hagar so bad that Hagar decided to run away. God met Sarah in the wilderness and sent her back to Sarah to submit to her mistress. And I'm sure that Sarah never let go of the jealousy towards Hagar and her boy, who was Abram's first son and the only child until Abram, Isaac was born. Sarah had to face her inability to bear children every day. Then finally, Sarah got pregnant after more than 25 years of trying. Isaac was born, the promised son, the one God had bound himself to give to them. Now Sarah was able to hopefully give up her jealousy. She had been blessed with the gift of motherhood. 
she had the gift of a son. This son, Isaac, was to be Abram's heir, but legally Ishmael was still the heir. He was considered the firstborn son. Now she saw Ishmael mistreating Isaac, and she knew that these two would not get on. And the only way, uh, and there was only one who would be able to inherit Abram's estate and name. So something needed to happen. And her words that she said here are quoted by Paul in Galatians 4.29 as if God had spoken them. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. I'm not sure, but maybe Sarah understood the spiritual significance of the weight of what was happening there. We don't know. Verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the slave woman and her son shall not be heir. For the slave woman's son shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Notice how she doesn't ask Hagar and Ishmael to be cast out because of the mocking of Isaac. Her reasoning is far deeper, far more forward-looking. The son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. I believe we get a little glimpse here into Sarah's heart. She doesn't call Hagar by her name, but instead she says, this slave woman. To me this sounds like disdain, like hate, some strong emotions there. Maybe there's something that had been growing in her quietly over the years. The same thing happens when she speaks of Ishmael. She doesn't use his name, but calls him the son of the slave woman. But there's a shift when she speaks about Isaac. She says lovingly, my son Isaac. It wasn't enough to just say his name, but she made sure to say my son as well. God had promised Abraham a son through Sarah, not another woman. The issue that Sarah has is that Ishmael could be heir with Isaac, or instead of Isaac, even though God promised Isaac the inheritance, even before his conception. Galatians 4.30 says, The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What if? All this wouldn't have happened if Sarah and Abraham would have listened to God in the first place. God had promised them a son. But we read in Genesis 16 how Sarah suggested to Abraham to use one of her slaves, Hagar, to get a son through her. And Abraham agreed to this abuse. That's really what it was. Because God ordained marriage to be between one man and one woman. Ishmael was a product of sin. The first sin that, was, that happened was distrusting God, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, and then abusing Hagar. Ishmael was just as wonderfully made as Isaac. God went through the same process with him as with Isaac. Both babies were miracles. Both babies were innocent when they were born. But he was not the promised son. Children that come from broken, sinful and wrong relationships are not at fault. They are just as innocent and precious as children born into beautiful, right and God-honoring relationships. This whole incident at Isaac's weaning party was a result of a sin that Sarah and Abram had committed 16 years prior. But God used it to teach us important truths that, can, that we can study in Galatians 4 for house groups so, Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Make sure you read that for the house group. Verse 11 says, 
and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And you can understand Abraham, Ishmael was his firstborn son. For 16 years he loved him, spent time with him, taught him many different things. He'd even argued with God to let Ishmael take his inheritance in Genesis 17 verse 18. But all that time he knew God had promised all this to Isaac, the son Abram would have with Sarah. Abram loved Ishmael. It wasn't so much that he didn't care about Hagar, but Ishmael was his own flesh and blood. How could he disown his son? Notice how it says here, Ishmael, his son. The narrator is making sure that we get the difference in the relationship to Ishmael. Sarah called him the slave woman's son, but Abram calls him my son. Oh, it says his son. God speaks to Abram after that, and we don't know when, but maybe Abram was thinking all this stuff over all day and into the night, and he was wrestling through it and worrying about it. And um, so God spoke to him in the night, I, I believe, um, as he'd done previously as well. And some scholars would suggest that's what happened. And God said to him, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. So whenever, uh, whatever Sarah tell, says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Abram was wrestling with the thought of casting out his son. It didn't feel right to him. He didn't want to do it. And into this situation, God speaks to Abram, saying, Don't let your emotions get in the way of obeying me. God doesn't tell him to not be sad about, about it or to feel a certain way about this situation. He knew Abram's love for his firstborn Ishmael. God tells him not to let those emotions get in the way of being obedient. Notice God calls Ishmael neutrally the boy and speaks of Hagar as your slave woman. In Genesis 16 we read that she was originally Sarah's slave. But this time God says that Sarah's suggestion is good. God was using Sarah to speak to Abram. Yes, Abram was still the house of the uh, head of the household, but that didn't mean that he was free to be a dictator. God tells him to humble himself, to listen to his wife and not be proud. This idea that Sarah had was good. It needed to happen because Isaac is the one through whom Abram's offspring shall be named. God made a promise to Abram and said that through Isaac, Abram will have innumerable children, not through Ishmael. God would also establish his covenant with Isaac, not with Ishmael. God made that very clear in Genesis 17, verse 15. Ishmael was not the chosen Ishmael was not the chosen line. Isaac was. Isaac was to carry the name of Abraham and also the line from which the promised deliverer would come eventually. Then God gives Abram another promise for Ishmael, just as he had done in Genesis 17, verse 20. But God calls Ishmael here the son of the slave woman. I wonder if it is to remind Abram of Ishmael's origin. Ishmael wasn't really the son that God had promised. He was not the son of Abram's wife, Sarah. 
God never recognized Abram's relationship with Hagar as a marriage. Who knows, it might have been just a one-night thing. She got pregnant and continued to serve there, never to be touched again. But regardless of his mother's status, he was Abraham's son, and God would bless him. Verse 14 says, So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and the skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulders, along with the child, and sent her away. And this is the reason why some scholars think God spoke to Abram in the night, is because he gets up early in the morning and he gets everything ready for Hagar and Ishmael. He obeys at once. Abram takes diligent care of them, even though he's casting them out. He's not just irresponsibly kicking them out without any food or drink. He's caring for them. And in the Middle East, it's, all, it's hot. And according to, historian, uh, to historians, people would take only as much water as they needed to get to the next well. There would be a lighter weight to carry and they could get fresh water at the next well or village. So Abram gets them all ready and he's obedient to God. Can you imagine what is going through his head? Maybe he's replaying all these precious moments with his son and worrying and thinking, will I ever see my son again? How will they get on? Will they be safe out there in the wild? Will God take care of them? This is the first time Abram must give up a son. He must have torn his heart to pieces. And I can imagine I see him sobbing as he sends them away. But despite all of these emotions and the feelings that this is not right, he obeys God because he knows that what God says is right. What an example it is for us today. He knew it was the right thing to do because God wanted Isaac to be the heir, not Ishmael. God had made a promise to Isaac and to Abraham even before Isaac was born and no one would cross God's plan. The last part of verse 14 says, And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. Some believe that Abram must have, uh, have, sorry, some believe that Abram gave Hagar and Ishmael directions which way to go and they must have missed a turn or gone wrong somewhere so, but whatever happened, they ended up wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. They were lost in the wilderness of Beersheba, the wilderness of the seven wells. They were lost in every possible way. They had just lost their jobs. They had just lost their family. They had just lost their safety, their f possible future wealth, their orientation. They were wandering around and all their hope. And here's where we get to God's salvation. Verse 15 and 16. All hope is lost. Verse 15 and 16. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Let me not look at, on the death of the child. As she sat there opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. They had lost all hope. They were out of water. The heat and the walking around had dehydrated them. Ishmael, a teenager, had lost all his strength. Hagar decided to put him under a bush, maybe to make his last moments in life a bit more bearable, maybe to protect his body from um, vultures or animals. She left him to die. 
She had forgotten the promise God had given her in Genesis 16.10 concerning her son. He was to grow into a multitude no one would ever be able to count. She had forgotten her encounter with the God who sees, the God who cared for her so much that he would meet her needs and satisfy her every need. She had lost all hope for herself as well. She sits down far enough to not hear Ishmael mourn and starts to weep. In her desperation, she has nothing left but crying. So she didn't hold back the tears. She was done being strong. She had lost all her pride and she was about to lose her life. Verse 17 and 18 says, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God hears Ishmael. And I found it interesting that it is Hagar who weeps loudly, but God hears the silent whimpers of a weak teenage boy. The Hebrew word for God hears Elohim, the strong one. So the strong one hears the voice of the weak one and then speaks to his mum. Comparing this to Genesis 16, I found that in Genesis 16, it's the angel of the Lord, the angel of the continuing one of the I am, who found Hagar and spoke to her by the springs. Here it's the angel of God, the strong one, speaking to her from heaven. And I believe that the angel of God and the angel of the Lord is the same person. And um, I believe it's the, the, our Lord Jesus before he became a human and lived in the flesh. And as God usually does, he starts with a question. Not just any question, but God asks that kind of question that reveals the deepest thoughts. What troubles you, Hagar? I want you to notice that God uses her name. This is the only time in this text that we read Hagar's name in direct speech. She was referred to as this slave woman and your slave woman. But here God speaks to her and he calls her by her name. How beautiful is that? God knows and uses her name. Last time God spoke to her, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. This time Hagar is her own person. God is so gentle with her, yet his question cuts to the depth of her soul. She needs to do some soul searching here. What troubles you? Didn't God provide for her in Genesis 16? Did God not promise her that Ishmael would grow into a great nation? Did she not see God fulfill his promise about Sarah conceiving, giving birth and nursing Isaac at 90 years old? What troubles you, Hagar? What a great reminder to us today. What troubles you? And you can insert your name here. What troubles you, Paul? What troubles you, Adrian? What troubles you, Emma? Fear not. Verse 17b. This is the, only the second time in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, that God had these beautiful reco words recorded for us. And into this question that reveals the innermost troubles of her heart, God gives her hope. God offers her peace. God says, fear not. Hagar just put Ishmael under a bush to die 
and was getting ready to breathe her last breath herself. And God says, fear not. It was up to her to trust the strong one, the one that she calls the one who sees. It's like when Ezra tells me at night that he's scared and I walk into his room and I take his hand and say, hey, don't be afraid, I'm here. All his fear is gone and he calms down. And that's what God wants, trust. What troubles you? Fear not. And continues to say, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God has shown Hagar in Genesis 16 that he sees her and he can supply all her needs. Now it was time for Hagar to learn that God would see and hear her son too. And that he, the one who sees, would provide for him too. Ishmael may have not cried out that loud, but God heard him. Even his faint whimpers, or maybe even just in his thoughts because he didn't have the strength anymore. What a comfort to a mom, to a mother. Don't fear, don't worry, I hear your child, I hear your cries, I hear child's cries better than you. I'm not just hearing them passively, I know where he is and I listen to him and I pay attention to him. Verse 18 says, Up, lift the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him an, into a great nation. Now that God has given her courage or spoken to her to challenge her and courage, it is up to Hagar to obey. God doesn't do miracles for people who don't obey. God gives Hagar a task. She was to get up, to go over to her son, whom she had just put under a bush to die, to lift him up and to hold him fast. They were to take up all their strength and do what God had told them to do. Hagar had lost all sense of direction, all hope and even forgotten the promises that God had given her. She'd given up. There was no more reason to live. But now God gave her a reason to live. Ishmael would become a great nation. People who have hope can do amazing, impossible things. So Hagar mustered up all her strength that she had. Her mama bear instincts kicked in, adrenaline skyrocketed and she got up. She could not let her son die in the wilderness. How could he become a great nation if he died here? Hagar was to get up to go over to Ishmael, who was still just as weak as when she put him down, maybe even weaker. She was to lift him up, possibly with her last ounces of energy, and hold him fast. God would somehow make him into a great nation. What would God do? He didn't say. And even and one, uh, he wanted Hagar to trust him and obey him. How often in life do we not obey God because we don't know what will come next? How is God going to provide if I leave the job? that I really know that I should be leaving? How is God going to sort this issue out at work that I don't really want to address because if I do, it could go south? How is God going to... And we want to know what the outcome is before we start moving. But that's not life by faith. God called us into a life by faith, not a life by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Jesus says in John 20, 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God told Hagar that 
what would happen eventually, but for now she was just to trust and obey and walk step by step. Verse 19 Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Hagar obeyed God. And just as in the account of the man with the crippled hand in Luke 6, where Jesus tells him to stretch out the hand that is crippled, the hand that has caused him embarrassment, maybe was the reason for jokes about about him, maybe people were mocking him for it, and he was to stretch out this hand in front of everyone. And as he obeyed Jesus, his hand was restored. It's the same here. Hagar obeys. She turns her eyes to God away from her situation, from herself. And God does the miracle. He opens her eyes to a well of water. And this might be a well that God just miraculously made appear. Maybe God had hidden it from her. But I think it was just that she was so lost, so tired, so hopeless that she had given up looking. All she saw was her own problems, her dying son, her empty water skin, and no way. Maybe her eyes were so full of tears and so full of dust that she couldn't see properly. Now with her renewed hope, trusting God and looking to God, she was able to to see her environment clearer, and voila, there was a well of water. The well was just like the finish line in a marathon. It just pulls you over the pulls you on for these last steps. It tickles the last resources out of your legs. So Hagar went to the well, filled the skin and gave to Ishmael, her beloved son. And what a relief, what a joy to see his teenage strong body to come back to life, his eyes opening up and his body regaining strength. God is faithful. He will always supply everything we need. What a lesson to learn for her back then and for us today. Verse 20 and 21 is the rest of Ishmael's life. And it says, And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife from the land of Egypt. Beautiful line here. And God was with the boy. God kept providing for Ishmael and for Hagar. But now Ishmael is the main character in the story, not Hagar. He grew into a man. He became the head of the household. He became an archer. But he was still reliant on God for bring food, to bring food. Because he lived in the wilderness, in uncultivated land. He didn't have a field. He lived off the land, whatever the land produced. His descendants would become nomads, rich people, and um, traders. Some people even say bandits. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. That's most likely today's Arabian Peninsula. His mother got him a wife from from her home, Egypt. And then we don't read more about his life. And it is because it's not relevant to the story of the promised saviour who would come through Isaac's children. So let's think about applications. There's much to digest from this passage and so many lessons that we can learn. Well, first of all, I want to highly recommend to you to read Galatians 4, 21 to 31 and study the passage. Study this passage that we read today in the light of Paul's commentary on this account. 
This story is one of the few stories in the Bible in the Old Testament that we actually get a inspired commentary of. And Paul gives us it here in Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Find out who Hagar represents and how that relates to us today. Who is Sarah in this story? Read about Isaac and how we are like children of faith, just like him. God's word is wonderful, connected and full of treasures. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And I believe this is true in the physical world, but even more true in the spiritual realm. Put in the work and become rich in your spiritual life. Study the word. Find the treasures that God, that hidden in Christ, that God didn't hide in Christ to be hidden and secretive, but that God hid in Christ so we look in Christ and find true wisdom, find true knowledge. Don't look anywhere else in the worldly wisdom. So some things that we learned about humans today. We sin. Abram and Sarah abused Hagar. Hagar looked down on Sarah. Sarah mistreated Hagar. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. We sin. Sin has consequences. Ishmael was not his own fault. Yet he became a stumbling block to Sarah and Hagar. He became a temptation for Abraham to not trust God and he became a pain for Isaac. We lose sight of God quickly. Hagar had forgotten all the promises God had given her. She had lost the sight of the one who sees her. And how quickly can this happen to us that we lose the sight of God? We have a choice to obey or disobey. God gave, gave Abraham a choice to listen to him or to listen to his emotions. Abraham decided to listen to God, even though he wasn't entirely happy with the task. But he knew it was the right thing to do. God gave Hagar a task to do. She could have stayed down and not trusted God, she could have, but she could get up and pick Ishmael up and walk step by step to see God provide for them. And that's what she did and God provided. What did we learn about God? If we want to grow spiritually, we need to um, get to know God more. Here's just a few things that we, oh, I have come out with this from this study about God. God is gentle. The language that God uses both with Abraham and with Hagar is beautiful and gentle. Calling Ishmael the boy when he speaks to Abraham and calling Hagar by her name. God, com God comforts. Again, both Abraham and Hagar were comforted by God by his promise towards Ishmael. God told Hagar to not, not to fear because he was going to fulfill his promise. He was going to look after them. That's the next point. God keeps his promises and no one will stand against them. Hagar and Ishmael were kind of victims in this. But Ishmael had eyed up the inheritance already as he was the firstborn, but God had other plans. Isaac would, have been, would be the heir and the name carrier. God kept his promises to Abram and to Hagar about Ishmael as well, when we read that. And not even Hagar's bad sense of direction could keep God from making Ishmael a great nation. And God supplies everything we need. God supplied the water for Hagar and Ishmael when they were out of water. And sometimes God lets us run dry before he shows us a well. 
God supplied everything for us. He provided a way for salvation by faith in Jesus' name. He provided a way to live a holy life by faith. We have the Holy Spirit. We can trust Jesus and what he says about us. He provides a way for eternal life with him by faith in what Jesus has done. Everything in Christian life, uh, everyone in the Christian life depends on trusting and believing God. He doesn't lie, he doesn't trick, and he is always good and always faithful. And something that I want to challenge you with is, pick one of these things or something that stood out to you about God and write it down and ponder it throughout the week. Ponder God's character. And I was just struck by in this study and preparing this by how gentle God was with Abraham and with Hagar. He knew exactly what they needed. He knew exactly what was going on in their hearts and he comforted them and in such a gentle way that yeah, it just really touched me. And just to experience this, that God is gentle with us. He knows our names. He speaks to us. And he comforted them. And he still does the same today. He's gentle with us. He calls us by our name. He offers us help. Amen.